Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Even before Pope Francis labelled the practice deplorable earlier this month, myriad legal and ethical dilemmas swirl around the issue of surrogacy. At a time of growing concern about plummeting birth rates, the number of babies born to surrogates is rising globally. In Australia, of course, commercial surrogacy is illegal, which means aspiring parents often look overseas to engage a surrogate, sometimes in unsafe and sometimes in exploitative conditions. Altruistic surrogacy, where there's no financial compensation, is legal. But you may wonder what kind of woman is willing to give over her body to create another human life out of the goodness of her heart. Sarah Jefford is that woman. Welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I want to take you to that moment after you conceived and carried a human life and the day came to hand over the baby. And I, I feel like this is a brutal way to describe it, but maybe, maybe it is. Where were you? What was that moment like when it came to, to, to make that, that transfer, if you like? So the little one that I gave birth to arrived via cesarean section. So that part hadn't been planned as these things go. But all of us were in theatre together, myself and my partner and the two dads. And so when she arrived, I think my first thought was that she's okay. She's healthy and my job is done. So there was overwhelming relief. And then I was very keen to see the intended parents meet their baby and see the faces as they met her as she arrived, and then them cuddling her was really important. We then spent some time in recovery where I got to actually see just how excited and delighted they were to have met this little person that I'd been growing for nine months. It was amazing, one of the best things I've ever done. So much of your experience is about their experience as opposed to you and this child. It's the look on their face and the delight that you've been able to, to give them this gift. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we'd been planning for. That's why I intended to give them a baby, that I conceived her with that intention that ultimately they would be her parents. And the thing that I most looked forward to during the pregnancy and the entire process was seeing them meet her. That was what I wanted. And that's exactly what I got to see. Uh, We often talk about surrogates and their experience of the handover. And most important is that they get to see the intended parents meet their baby. Mm. So going back a bit further, Who asked who? Uh, How did you decide to make this gift to this couple? My partner and I are actually probably one of the few arrangements that happen in Australia where we've met the intended parents through a Facebook group. About 20% of arrangements occur by meeting online. The other uh, 80% occurs through existing friendships and uh, family relationships. So I had gone into uh, the Australian surrogacy Facebook group looking to be a surrogate and it was actually another surrogate recommending the intended parents to me. It becomes a bit like um, blind dating. So we had a bit of a blind date and we got to know each other for a few months. And once my partner and I were happy that they were not just looking for a transaction, that they wanted to invest in a relationship with us, then we offered for me to be their surrogate. In 2019, I covered the sperm donor case, which took the very definition of the word parent all the way to the High Court of Australia. I interviewed both the biological father and mother uh, in different same-sex relationships who were locked in a very bitter custody battle over uh, their children. He said he was a dad. Uh, She said he was just a donor. I mean, I, I know how complicated and vexatious this area of family law can be. And perhaps, perhaps how the law 
really hasn't kept pace with the dynamic changes in some Australian family formulas. And I'm curious if you understand that in the same way as well. Of course, you're a lawyer, you work in this area of law. Has the law been latent? I think so. I often talk to people that are wanting to create families in all different ways, whether it's donor arrangements or co-parenting or surrogacy, or even uh, polyamorous relationships where there's more than two people in the relationship. So I think there's a difficulty where I wonder whether our laws will ever catch up to all the different ways that we have family and create children. I think that some of the presumptions around who is a parent and who isn't probably need to be updated to allow for all the different ways that we make children and who wants to be a parent. And in that case, for example, who should should and shouldn't be considered to be a parent. Because there is the other argument that, of course, if there is some latency with family law, it, it may be for, for good reason, given that child welfare is at the heart of this caution uh, is, and the abundance of caution is probably advisable. Do you see that as well? Do you see that argument? Yes, and I think always the best interest of the child must be the paramount consideration. We also see that in surrogacy because surrogacy arrangements are not enforceable primarily because it's the child's interests that must be paramount above everybody else's interests. But it's adults making decisions about these future children who are hypothetical. So it can be a bit of a a strange concept to talk about the best interests of a child that does not yet exist. If you've just joined me on RN Drive, Sarah Jefford is with me. We're discussing her experience as a surrogate and as a lawyer for surrogate families. So what is the process after the intended parents and the surrogate have decided to go ahead with a pregnancy? Where do you come in as a lawyer? I mean, are contracts drawn up before any kind of swapping of of, of organic material or DNA comes, comes about? That's right. The process does differ between states, but generally speaking, everybody does counselling together. And then there's two different lawyers, one for the intended parents and one for the surrogate and her partner. There is an agreement drafted up in most states and everybody signs off before conception takes place. And then hopefully the pregnancy and everything else goes well. When the birth happens, the surrogate and her partner are listed on the original birth certificate. And then the intended parents need to go through a court application process to transfer parentage from the surrogate over to themselves. And then a new birth certificate is issued listing themselves as the parents. So we have the pre-surrogacy process before conception and then this whole parentage order process after the baby is born. This may relate to your experience somewhat, but what is the stereotypical relationship between the parties? Uh, is it, uh, fami- you know, they know each other socially or, uh, mm. I mean, I know that you had this sort of more or less dating experience, but what is the stereotype of experience in terms of relationships between these parties? I've started keeping statistics. So of almost 400 surrogacy arrangements in Australia, I know that the vast majority are known to each other, so they're friends or family members, and the majority of those are existing friendships. And then there's a smaller portion, but significant, that is sisters or sisters-in-law. And there's a very small amount that sometimes it's the mother caring for her daughter or her son. And then there's a few others that are like workmates, for example. And then there's this other little chunk that have met on social media. So the relationships are very complex and they vary, but you can imagine that if somebody's sister has offered to be their surrogate, that's lovely, but now they have this new relationship to navigate where she's going to carry their baby and hand over the baby and then watch them parent. So there's so many complexities that get discussed at the legal advice stage when I'm involved, but also particularly with the counselling. And some states also require post-birth or relinquishment counselling before the parentage order can be made. 
So a little one is born into the world and hopefully all the parties are happy with the arrangement. But in the event that they're not, how often are these arrangements contested? And does it come under contract law, the Biotissue Act? How often do things go, go awry? Thankfully, not very often. If there are breakdowns in the relationship, it's very rare for that to lead to the surrogate not wanting to hand over the baby. I'm only aware of one case in Australia where that has occurred. But for the vast majority of cases, things go very well and the baby goes where the intended parents wanted it and where the surrogate has intended. And that's very smooth. The court process is usually done by consent. Everybody's happy for the baby to be, for their parentage to be transferred and the new birth certificate to be issued. If there are breakdowns in the relationship, like I said, that doesn't usually lead to a problem with handing over the baby. It's just about navigating the adult relationships going forward about what sort of contact there might be and how are we going to mediate or have counselling to kind of uh, rebuild the trust between each other. That can happen a little little bit more commonly, but hopefully the work that they've done in that pre-surrogacy counselling has set them up to have a good experience of the entire process. Of course, in Australia, we have altruistic surrogacy. I just want to think about this word altruistic a little more. It's an interesting word. It obviously implies that there is a choice uh, free from commercial profit that the surrogate makes to carry uh, the, the child. I do wonder if there's another argument that while there might not be direct pressure from couples who would like a baby, but there is perhaps externalised societal pressure on women, um, certainly if they're within a, a family group, uh, to provide for others if they can. Just talk to me about this non-profitable kind of pressure that, that perhaps some women might feel. Absolutely. I think particularly in family or friend situations, women might feel like it's their job to help their sister or friend because they have a uterus and they can carry a pregnancy and they may feel that pressure to give them the baby that they so desire. And that may that pressure may come from extended family, for example, from grandparents. So much of that process, particularly with the counselling and the psychological assessments, is meant to address those issues and give people the opportunity of stepping back if this is not the right process for them. Usually when I'm talking to somebody that wants to be a surrogate, she is doing it because she's really excited about doing it. She hasn't felt any particular pressure, but she's also really um, mature about thinking about all the different things that could go wrong and wanting to make sure that her rights and her partner and their family are protected in that process. They don't want to do it at all costs. They want to do it if it's actually going to be beneficial for everybody involved. Of course, it's within the law uh, in Australia to provide for health costs, uh, medical costs. Do they they ever become contentious about what's included and what's what's not? Is that area of the contract often tested? Thankfully not. Most of the state legislation that we have is explicit enough that it allows for the intended parents to make sure they're covering all of those expenses as they're associated with surrogacy or pregnancy or birth. It can get a little bit contentious when we're talking about, well, how much is reasonable to cover, for example, for maternity clothing? Or how many times do we cover her to get a pregnancy massage? Those tend to be uh, niggly little things that we work through. And again, it comes back to the trust between the parties. They need to have those conversations before they enter a surrogacy agreement so that they can have some expectations about how much will things cost and what do the intended parents need to pay for. And then, of course, the legal advice and the agreement that we draft up between them also stipulates the sorts of things that they can expect to be covered. So notwithstanding your current medical ability to do so, would you do it again? Yes, absolutely. After I gave birth, I thought I could do that several times over. It was amazing. And notwithstanding the amount of work that goes in, not just the physical work, but everything else, 
I just think it was the most wonderful thing to have experienced. And most surrogates will actually talk about doing it again. Many surrogates do it more than once. I think there's um, there's real reasons to consider doing it only once, but certainly for me, I would have gone back and done it again. Lawyer Sarah Jefford has been my guest. I do appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. 